Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part three of the series, The Light of God. Okay, praise the Lord. What we're going to do here is I'm going to record this in our church. There's not anybody in here. I'm preaching to empty seats because our recording on Sunday morning uh, malfunctioned, and so we were not able to record The Light of God Part 3. And it's such an important part of what we're talking about that I felt the need to go ahead and record it uh, without a live audience and put it out on the podcast. So last week we put out a nerd APB, a nerd all points bulletin, and we're going to preach to the nerds today, but the rest of us are going to get something out of it. Now, I shouldn't say the rest of us because I'm a self-confessed nerd myself. And uh, on Sunday morning, I asked for a show of hands and I got about half of the congregation uh, that admitted that they were nerds. So this is to the nerds and to the regular people. I believe both groups will get something out of this podcast. Amen. One of the things I admire about Einstein was that he recognized there was a spiritual dimension at work in the natural universe. As brilliant as he was, at least he recognized this. And I would say truly brilliant people recognize that there is a spirit at work in the natural laws of the universe. I want you to hear before we begin. Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we with our modest powers must feel humble. That's Albert Einstein. So, to begin with, in the last two sessions, so far in this series on the light of God, the light of God part three now, we've been talking about the similarities and differences between natural light and the supernatural light of God. And I promised this week that we would get into the fascinating topic of why the physics of natural light prevent faster than light travel, but the physics of God's light do not. But in order to get into that discussion, we have to talk about the nature of time. Because as it turns out, natural light and time are tied together in a very special way. Einstein called this relationship special relativity. And he had this to say about his famous theory. When you're courting a nice girl, an hour seems like a second. When you sit on a red-hot cinder, a second seems like an hour. That's relativity. Amen, Albert Einstein. In other words, Einstein was saying that time passes differently for an individual based upon their frame of reference. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Which means that Peter, through the Holy Spirit, was aware of the concept of relativity about 1,800 years before Einstein was even born. Let's hear what the prophet Moses had to say about relativity. Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Now, a watch in the night is a three-hour period, so now... Moses compares a thousand years in the sight of God being like just three hours. So which is it? Is it three hours to a thousand years or one day to a thousand years? 
Evidently, God is able to experience time at any rate he wishes or not at all because he is an eternal being. Amen. Now I want to talk about my time with Jesus. Shortly after Trish and I had been transferred from North Carolina to Corpus Christi, the Lord appeared to me in a vision. To give you some background, I had been struggling with demonically inspired nightmares since I was a child, and they had persisted into my 20s, even as I flew as a pilot for the Marines. Now, in these nightmares, demons would manifest themselves and would terrorize and torment me. And the nightmares would come and go at various times in my life, but it seemed to intensify, or they seemed to intensify, after Trish and I had made our decision to live 100% for the Lord. We stood on the fence together in May of 1984. We held hands, and we decided once and for all we were going to live 100% for the Lord, and we jumped off the fence on the Lord's side, and we've never looked back. Amen to that. In April of 1985, shortly after we moved to Corpus Christi, the enemy came against me with a horrific demonic nightmare. In this nightmare, I felt as if an evil presence was lying in the bed right next to me. And before I knew what I was doing, I had taken my pillow and had begun to smother my wife who was lying in the bed beside me. I woke up to the sound of my wife screaming at the top of her lungs from underneath the pillow. Needless to say... It got our attention. We immediately used the name of Jesus to rebuke the spirit of fear that had come against us that night. After that, we calmed down and we prayed that the angels of God would watch over our home and that the presence of the Lord would fill our bedroom. After we prayed, I remember feeling like I needed to look at the clock. And when I did, I saw that it was exactly 2 a.m. As I lay down on my pillow... I was immediately in the spirit. I looked over my right shoulder and saw an enormous man in a flowing tunic standing outside the doorway of our bedroom. Now, he was big and he was burly looking, not like the prototypical angel that you see in all the pictures and you read about the shining angels with the beautiful wings. This guy was big and burly and mean looking and looked like he could put some hurting on you. He was facing outwards of the door. The door was open, and he was so large that his head was above the top of the door casing. So he was just standing there as if he was guarding the room, and I believe that's what he was doing. Now, it looked to me like he was maybe four to 500 pounds. So when I say this was a big, mean-looking guy, he was big and mean-looking. So what I did, because I had been so conditioned because of these demonic nightmares, I immediately thought, that I was having another episode, and, and I tensed up, and I recoiled instinctively, and I said, here we go again. But suddenly, I heard a voice say, don't be afraid. Now, as I alluded to in the last session, there was an amber glow that filled our bedroom, which I believe was the supernatural light of God. And as we've discussed already, that light was coming from all directions at once. As I looked to see where the voice was coming from, I saw Jesus standing next to the bed to my right. And I said the most astounding thing to the Lord. I said, Lord, the first brilliant thing I had to say to the Lord, I was so uh, caught off guard. He was just there. And the vision was on. And so I looked at him and I said, Lord, you're not as tall 
as I had imagined. He looked like he might have been maybe 5'10", and I just pictured Jesus taller than that. So just about the time I thought I had insulted the Lord, he, he started to chuckle. He sort of reared his head back and chuckled, and I guess he thought it was funny. He then started walking slowly around the bed, heading toward the side where Trish lay sound asleep. But before he rounded the foot of the bed, I did another thing that I did not expect to do. And I pointed my finger at Jesus and I said, Jesus, if this is really you appearing to me in this vision, then I'm going to have to have a scripture confirmation or I won't believe it. I continued. And also, Lord, if this is you, I don't want to come out of this vision without you touching me. I'm not sure why I said that either, but I did. After I said these things, he reached Trisha's side of the bed, looked down at her and said, don't worry about her either. I'm watching over her too. Then to my surprise, he said, reach out with your finger and touch me. I then reached over my wife with my right hand and my right forefinger extended And as I did this, he leaned over with his right hand and his right forefinger extended. As he got closer to me, he seemed to get brighter. He started to shine and he got brighter and brighter and brighter until by the time his finger came close to mine, all I could see was his forearm and his hand and his right forefinger extended out of this cloud of glory. So when he touched my right forefinger, There was a bright flash of white light and everything was whited out. And instantly I came out of the vision. I was sitting upright in the bed, marveling at the wonder of what I had just seen. And I heard the voice of the Lord on the inside of my spirit. He said, though you may not always see me, I am always with you. Do not be afraid. A second or two later, I felt again as if I should look at the clock. And when I did, the clock read exactly 6 a.m. I was astonished. From my perspective, the vision lasted two to three minutes max. But the clock was telling me that exactly four hours had passed. There was some type of time distortion that had occurred, and I had no idea what it meant. And although I would think of it often, it would be another 20 years before the Lord would begin to unravel this mystery for me. At the time, though, it was more important to me that the back of those demonic nightmares was broken over my life forever. Amen. Hallelujah. The message of that visitation was clear. If you stand against the fear, you can defeat the attack of the enemy every time. And by the way, the Lord did not ignore my request for a scriptural confirmation like I thought he did. The day after this visitation, I came home from lunch and Trish met me at the door with her Bible in hand. And I was eager to come home for lunch because she had gone right to bed after this encounter before I had the vision And she had no idea that Jesus was in the room. I tried to wake her up. I said, honey, honey, Jesus was here. Let me tell you about Jesus. I could not get her to wake up. So I was eager to come home for lunch. It was just a five-minute trip. Um, We lived on base. I worked at the headquarters on base. And it was five minutes from my office to the house. So I drove home wanting to tell my wife that Jesus had appeared to me in a vision the night before. Well, she met me at the door with Bible in hand. 
And she said she was praying that morning and the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to read this scripture to your husband and he'll know what it means. Uh, This is the scripture that she read to me that afternoon in Corpus Christi, Texas in April of 1985. Proverbs 25, verse 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. That last phrase sealed it for me. I had seen the prince. But there was also a warning in this scripture. Just because you had an audience with the king... Just because your eyes had seen the prince, don't feel like you're going to be lofty and lifted up in somebody special because of it. It was the Lord that told me, come up hither into that realm. And I dwelt with him in that realm for, like I said, two to three minutes max. So the Lord was telling me, yes, it was me. I'm confirming with the scripture just like you asked me to. But I'm also telling you, don't get haughty about it. All right, let's press on. Fast forward 20 years, and the Lord began to unfold to me the special theory of relativity and how that time is relative and how that light and time are related in a very special way. So 20 years later, during the fall of 2005, I had gone back to grad school, gotten my master's and my Ph.D. in engineering And I had begun working as a postdoctorate assistant on a project that was exploring technologies that could be used for micro-scale space radiation detectors. Basically, we were trying to make pen-sized radiation detectors that would attach to astronauts' uh, flight suits and monitor real-time the amount of harmful radiation they were receiving while they were in space. And in my research, I learned that certain types of particle radiation were subject to what they call relativistic effects or the effects of Einstein's special relativity. So as I read, I got more and more interested and began to spin off into reading as much as I could about the theoretical physics of Albert Einstein. And I learned that when Einstein published his ideas on special relativity in 1905, it fundamentally changed the way we look at space and time. Early experiments had shown that the speed of light did not change regardless of its origin. In fact, it turns out that if you shine a light from a jet fighter going 600 miles an hour, that light would not travel any faster than it would if you shined it from a car going 60 miles an hour. No amount of velocity can be added or taken away from the speed of light. Light travels at a constant speed of roughly 186,000 miles per second. So Einstein concluded from that that the speed of light must be the limiting speed of objects and energy passing through the universe. And his theory has stood the test of time for over 100 years. And over the last century or so, it has led to some fascinating speculations about the nature of light and its relationship to time. The essence of Einstein's theory of special relativity is captured in a relatively simple algebraic formula called the time dilation equation. 
Those of you listening by podcast, you're not going to be able to see this equation. Most of you wouldn't understand it anyway, but just trust me when I tell you what this formula says. If you were to study the graph in the equation that I put up on Sunday morning here at Faith Life Fellowship, and I'm not expecting you to do that, you would find that as a traveler approaches the speed of light, time actually slows down for him. For example, if you were to travel in a spaceship traveling at 99% the speed of light, you could make a round-trip journey to our closest star system, Alpha Centauri, roughly 4.3 light-years away, in roughly 15 months. But when you got back, the friends and relatives you left behind would be almost nine years older than when you left them. Now, that's mind-boggling and hard to get your arms around. But when I taught college algebra, one of the things that I did for the nerds in the class is I promised them if they would come the last day of class and stay after the final exam, I would show them with algebra. No calculus, just algebra. I would show them why time has to slow down as you approach the speed of light. And I almost always had, you know, a pretty good crew of nerds show up for that very simple proof. Now, let me say this. I understand why time has to slow down as you approach the speed of light mathematically. But understanding it mathematically is a far different thing than understanding it conceptually. Conceptually, I'm still trying to get my arms around how that works. But it is true, and it has been experimentally verified many, many times. If you take an even closer look at this equation, you find out something even more mind-boggling. If you were ever able to reach the speed of light, time for you would essentially grind to a complete halt. Time would stop. And you would enter an infinite or an eternal realm where time cannot be measured or where time has no meaning. Now, it is my personal belief that the third heaven mentioned by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, is an eternal realm that man can visit by invitation, but it's not a place where he can dwell. Because even when we get our new bodies, we will not be eternal beings in the same way that God is. In other words, He has always existed and always will exist. And we, no matter how glorious we will be, will always remain created beings which were created in the realm of space and time. So although the prospect of traveling at or beyond the speed of light has fascinated man for at least a century, there are reasons why it's probably not going to happen in the natural realm of this physical universe. Let me tell you why. According to special relativity, not only does time slow down as you approach the speed of light, but your mass begins to approach infinity. So to even travel at speeds that just approach the speed of light, you would have to build a near-infinite power source capable of propelling a ship of near-infinite mass. And even if such a power source could be built, it is doubtful that a spaceship made of conventional materials could withstand the incredible forces generated when accelerating toward the speed of light. Not to mention the problems associated with navigating through the universe at such speeds. So it seems that the speed of light is an impenetrable barrier, perhaps 
I believe, intended by God to keep beings from the created physical universe from slipping into that eternal realm without permission. All right, the next thing we need to get into is this. It turns out that time dilation is occurring in an expanding universe. One of the most important things I have learned from my study of time concerns the nature of light itself. And to illustrate the point, let me begin by saying that I believe that planet heaven, home of the heavenly Jerusalem, is located somewhere due north. And using a principle called Hubble's Law, which measures how rapidly the universe is expanding, I was able to factor in the time dilation I experienced in the 1985 vision and discovered two important things, if I did my calculations correctly. Number one, planet heaven appears to be about 14 billion light years away from us. Number two, it appears to be moving away from us at very near the speed of light. But this raises an important question. If heavenly visions of the type that I experienced in April of 1985 originated from planet heaven, and heaven is billions of light years away from the earth, how are these visions transmitted, quote unquote, or broadcast across such vast distances? Evidently, this type of vision is transmitted through the space-time continuum, but via the invisible realm of the spirit. Since planet heaven appears to be moving away from us at near the speed of light, time on planet heaven passes much slower than it does on planet earth. And this is why I observe time in the spirit realm with Jesus to be about two to three minutes, but time for me in the natural realm of earth was exactly four hours. I would expect the opposite to be true in the case of anyone who, like the Apostle Paul, was taken for an actual visit to heaven. For a visitor to heaven, time would appear to pass normally while he was there. But once he returned, he would realize that hours in heaven were only minutes from earth's perspective. And indeed, shortly after my vision occurred, I heard Jesse Duplantis say that exact thing when he described his visit to heaven and his return to earth. All of this brings up an important point about the nature of light. Although the speed of light appears to be the limiting speed of the natural universe, there does not appear to be a limiting speed for objects and energy moving through the spirit realm. It appears that heavenly or angelic beings and some sort of Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit electromagnetic radiation can broadcast or travel through that realm with no limiting speed. So I believe the fundamental question then becomes, is there a difference between the light of the natural physical realm and the light of the spiritual realm? And that's what we've been talking about. And that brings us back to our core scripture, James 1.17. Let me read it to you again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now this verse tells us that God is the Father of lights, which we have said many times now, means that all forms of light originated from Him. It also makes it clear that there's a difference between God's light and natural forms of light. So unlike the light of the sun, which casts a shadow as it turns through the sky, God's light does not vary, does not change, and has no shadow of turning. In other words, 
God's light and the spirit realm exist everywhere at once with the same intensity and therefore cast no shadow. Hear me out. This is the only way I can quantify this. It has a source, but it has no point of origin. Therefore, it has no limiting speed. So while the natural physical realm is lit by the light of the sun and by the light of the stars, the spirit realm is lit by the light of God. And although there may be great distances to travel within the space-time continuum, there is no limiting speed in the spirit realm as there is in the natural realm, at least not one that's associated with light. Therefore, angels and other spirit beings simply move through the realm of the spirit, enabling them to traverse unimaginable distances in an instant. They then slip into the physical realm at the exact place and time on the earth where they need to be to carry out their assignment from God. They simply reverse this process for their journey back to heaven. So a journey that would take us billions of years in the physical realm, even if we traveled near the speed of light, can be traversed in the spirit realm in an instant. And if we're going to go to the stars during the millennial reign of Christ and beyond, like I believe we are, we're going to have to travel at faster than light speeds to get there in a quote-unquote timely fashion. Amen? Well, I pray that everyone listening survived this message. And if you didn't grasp all of these concepts, I want to tell you, don't feel bad. Nobody really has a complete handle on special relativity, despite what they may say. They may be able to understand it mathematically like I can, but nobody has a complete grasp of why time has to slow down when you approach the speed of light. So, having said that, let me remind you of the most important light in your life, and that's the light of God that dwells on the inside of you. Let me leave you with our farewell light scripture, Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part three of today's message titled, The Light of God. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Wilmington. 